Well, hey, everybody. Uh, it's Brentley Saddam, I'm a pastor over at, it's 1208 Greenwood, but Brentley oh, was, Brentley was consistent. He had 1608 both times. Every time. Usually I get a bunch of different numbers before I'm up there, so. <laughs> uh, it's, our, it's our name and our address, which really confuses the mailman, but he's okay. Um, <clears throat> so when Dallas texted me yesterday and asked if I would like to come talk about food, my answer was an immediate yes. As you can tell from my body, I enjoy some food. Um, in fact, uh, just this past week, Dallas said, like, you've even done this this past week. You can mention that. This past week, I launched, like, a, a web page called Jackson Foodie. And the idea was more or less, like, we have a lot of great restaurants in Jackson. I was just in Traverse City, and the only thing I wanted to know while I was there is, what am I going to eat? And there was, like, no web page to really tell me everything. So I was like, I want to make that for Jackson. Uh, and the, some of the idea behind that was based off of Jeremiah 29. Sword of Eleven, which is the one everyone always quotes, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. But everyone always applies that to their own situation. If you back up like two verses, God explains what the plan was. It was, seek the welfare of the city, and you'll find the welfare there amidst that. So I was like, this is a way in which I can help Jackson along, because I like food, and I can talk about food not just what I find in Jackson, but also what I find in the Bible, because it's all over the Bible. I mean, there's literally books and commentaries that are written, Eating Your Way Through the Gospel. Like, that's the title of it. Because Jesus is eating everywhere he goes. I mean, think about it. The guy is born into a feeding trough, and then dies saying, guys, whenever you eat food, I want you to remember me. Like it's, and it's even in the Lord's Prayer that you just prayed. Also, whenever you pray, make sure to ask God for bread, <laughs> food, left and right, everywhere he goes. And, and as you continue to follow throughout the Gospels, it just comes up over and over and over again to a point where like, I feel like I'd be a little weirded out. Ah, right, is there a guy named Zacchaeus here? Zacchaeus? Ah, there you are. I'm coming to your house to eat today, man. <laughs> okay, welcome to my house, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what, that's what Jesus does. Everywhere he goes, he eats. So much so that the Pharisees, when they're trying to think of some insults towards him, are like, Jesus, that guy, nah, he's a, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Now, usually you can't pull out that kind of card unless at least someone likes to eat and drink, right? And Jesus seems to have partaken in that to the point that communion is part of it. All right. We're having Passover meal tonight. Everybody get together. We're going to have the feast, the celebration. All right, here's the bread. It used to mean this in the old, old Passover, but in the new Passover of my covenant, here's what it means now. Jesus constantly taking food, relabeling it, giving it new meaning. I mean, he's out and, and preaching, and he's gone a while, and he looks around. He's like, oh, these people are hungry. I'd be thinking, ah, they can all just go home and get some food. But no, Jesus is like, ah, uh, Go get some, some fish and bread. Okay. How's that going to help? Ah, we're going to feed them. <laughs> okay. The disciples go and do it. It's like, here's some fish, here's some bread. And Jesus, and his foodie-type ways, multiplies it. Right? And feeds a mass of like 5,000 people. Of course, the disciples are a little dull-headed. They don't always get it. Right? You fast forward a little bit, and like two chapters later, they're like, Jesus, people are hungry. What are we going to do? Well, you feed them. How are we going to do that? We, 
did you forget? (laughs) Have I just done so many miracles that you forgot the last time we fed like 5,000 people? Go get some fish and bread, multiplies it, feeds them. Fast forward like another chapter or two. Here's my favorite, my favorite dull-headed disciple moment in the whole Bible. They all get on a boat. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. And he's talking about how you should not partake of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is a metaphor, right? Jesus is, Jesus is essentially saying like, don't let their thinking get in you or it will swell you up into something you're not meant to be. The disciples who are on the boat, like leaven, leaven of Pharisees, leaven, leaven goes in bread, bread, bread. We're on a boat. We didn't get bread before we left. Jesus, we don't have any bread, which you're like, whoa. First off, guys, you missed the point. (laughs) Secondly, we fed 9,000 people in the last three chapters. You think we're going to have a problem with bread if we need it? Come on. Jesus, like, Obviously, those chapters in one gospel are put back to back to make you think. We often just read like one little spot and pull that out, but back to back to back, you're like, man, they just they don't catch it sometimes. But Jesus liked food. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, goes to a wedding. They've already had enough to drink, for sure. Uh, we ran out of our wine super early. Okay. Jesus fills it all up, which, of course, is another sign of who he is. This is better wine from Jesus. He is the new covenant wine. Like, this is better than the wine that was offered before, and there's a plentiful amount of it to go around for everybody. That's Jesus. Left and right, food metaphors coming up everywhere he goes, and he eats with people everywhere he goes. So much so that it should really weird us out a little bit. I mean, we often think of doing ministry in forms of the exact kind of things that I'm used to, right? We'll get together, we'll sing some songs, we'll preach for a bit. Like, that's ministry as the 21st century church has always thought of ministry. But Jesus never did it that way. I mean, he did go to synagogues and he'd preach in those places and then cast out some demons and then heal some people, but... Jesus, for the most part, he ate with people. It was his way of meeting people in their space. Because as some have said before, the table is a great neutralizer. And so if you want to ask Jesus, how do I evangelize? How do I do ministry? He'd likely lift up a plate and say, here here you go. Everywhere he went, he ate. And there's always... Always with people you didn't expect, from different sides of the spectrum here. On one side of the spectrum, he was always eating with the sinners. Part of the reason they'd be like, he's a glutton and a drunkard, is because he's eating with gluttons and drunkards, so he must be one too, though he's not. He must must be doing all the bad kinds of unclean things, all the sinful things. He's got tax collectors he's eating with, and he look at him, he's reclining at the table, the Bible says. Imagine Jesus with his feet up on (laughs) on the table, just having a good time, hanging out with people. We struggle to imagine that because Jesus always has to have a halo around his head, and he's sitting there thoughtfully saying something profound. There he is at the table, eating with friends, his disciples, but also with strangers. Zacchaeus, I just met you like five minutes ago. <laughs> Let's eat. 
How does Zacchaeus have enough food to feed everybody? I don't know. Maybe they were like hobbits. Just back kitchen was stored with like a year's worth of food or something. But whatever the case was, eat, 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 eat. And you know what? I bet everybody who left every meal that Jesus ever ate with them with, I bet they all didn't get saved. And that's hard for us because we want the home run. We want that idea of like, yeah, 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 if we share the same table, maybe things will go according to plan and go perfectly. But we don't have that said in the Bible. What we do know happened, though, Jesus set the space for sinners and saints alike to come to the table, to eat together, to experience the presence of God. Because Jesus is the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is inside of him. And then they could leave that space and go to the new temple and the Holy of Holies to think that they could find God there. But really, sitting at the table right across from them. Whether they accepted him or not, they had a moment to experience his presence, to eat with him, to talk with him, to hear from him, to live with him, to laugh with him. That's what food does. One of the only things that our church started 10 years ago when I, when I got there, uh, one of the only things that continues to this day is we started a small group that either evolved or de-evolved, depending on your opinion, <laughs> into a chance to get together and just eat and hang out every week. For 10 years, like usually small groups die within like three months, but 10 years now, though the group has changed, we still get together every Thursday from 6 to 8, and there's no even cutoff time to play games, to eat food, to hang out. And those conversations that you're always afraid of having in church, those just come up naturally because we're among friends. We trust each other. Whether I disagree with you or not, I know who you are as a person and as a being, and I can speak into that, and you can speak into it. And that you were comfortable enough to bring up those conversations in the first place is impressive enough of, of what food and hanging out can do. This is community in the Jesus way, building friendships that can last forever, where we have an online chat where we'll catch up throughout the week, and people are ch chatting in it every day to every other day for like 10 years. That is what the power of food does. It, it builds these kinds of relationships that Jesus himself was building wherever he went. And so eventually we got to the point where our church was dying and we, we said we have, to, we have to reinvent this somehow if we're going to continue forward. And so we went ahead and built something that we call Dinner Church, uh, which like we had to do things that honestly were a struggle for us. For starters, we had to not have church in the morning anymore, which that's the way it had always been. We didn't want to change that. But... We did. Surprisingly, I think every single person in our church, except for maybe one, was willing to make that change with us. And then we relaunched six o'clock Sunday nights. We bought real plates. We bought dishwasher. We got actual, like, we didn't want to just serve slop, right? We didn't just want uh, the church buffet or whatever. We wanted to work really hard on a meal. So we would delegate who's cooking what week. Let's go ahead and get together, and then we need people serving in the kitchen each week. And from 4.30 to 5 o'clock, the doors will open for people to just come and hang out, 
to create that community-type bond. Then from five to six, we'll eat. People can go up, get their servings of food, and go sit down, and they're going to sit down with you, you church people. And as you get to know them, you're going you're gonna to be showing them Jesus as you share a meal together, and you talk about whatever's going on in their lives and whatever they have that's going on. And then uh, about 5.30 or so, we'll bring out dessert, and someone will have worked really hard on dessert, not to just serve like here's something falling apart that we slapped together, some pudding really quick, but my wife at one point made like these s'mores where the outside was actually like a book and the frosting was like the cover of the book and things like that. And then we brought out a little blowtorch so when you came up to get it, we would just right across the s'more. Like that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's the Jesus kind of serving, right? I mean, Mother Teresa said like, or maybe I'm paraphrasing her, but essentially like when you serve the poor, you're serving Jesus. That's what Jesus said, right? When you take care of the poor, the hungry, the naked, those in prison, when you do that, you are taking care of me. So why would I give somebody something that I, I, I wouldn't serve to Jesus? There you go, Jesus. <laughs> Here's your pudding. And so we spent a lot of effort cooking. And that, honestly, I might be the pastor, but probably my favorite thing in dinner church is the Sundays that I get to cook. Because as a foodie, <laughs> I also enjoy trying really hard to make something that's going to make people happy. So I might have smoked a brisket all day long. I might have got pulled pork or something else. And chicken carbonara that splashed all over my wife's car on the way, driving it over. <laughs> Don't tell her. She doesn't know what that smell is yet. But that's the focus. Let's set it up and eat with people. You know who started showing up? The people that we had been trying to reach for seven years started showing up. All the poor and powerless. All the lost and lonely. Lots of homeless people. Lots of impoverished people. People who could go get food at the shelter if they wanted, but preferred the community that we had to offer and preferred uh, our desire to make something that they would want to eat. Like it's one thing to go to a kitchen and pour food in a bowl. It's another thing to handcraft it because I love you in the name of Jesus. Both those things are good. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not speaking badly of homeless shelters or anything like that. I love what Interfaith is doing here in Jackson and things like that. Uh, but that is, that is our heart. Let us love on you during this time. And as we reach people like that, we find ourselves in the situations that maybe Jesus found himself in, where around the table, somebody might say something that's a little jarring. Around the table, something might happen that we weren't expecting. Where two people suddenly, we hear a little commotion, we look over, and they're getting ready to fight each other in the sanctuary. <laughs> let's do this, let's go. And all I can think to myself is, yes, these are the people we're reaching. Amen. <laughs> this is what we were hoping for. Where we have to now figure out the logistics, because there's two people in the building who have a restraining order against each other. And we have to figure out, do we have to tell someone to leave legally or what? And I have to go just have this conversation of, look, we're here for both of you. I know you have your own stuff. How about you sit on one side of the building, you sit on the other, and if I see you guys crossing paths, then we'll have to have a conversation. But until then, we're here for both of you. 
That's the trying to find the Jesus in the midst of, of that moment, right? I had a, a new intern come in, and they, they came up to me after 15 minutes of being there and just said, you know, I, I don't know if I should be here just because, like, I'm unsure if, if, like, I don't know if, if I'm too comfortable here. I'm like, too comfortable? Nobody has ever told me <laughs> that they're too comfortable at this church. I don't think you've gotten used to this. Like, you haven't seen yet. She came back to me 15 minutes later. She's like, I need to be here. I experienced something that I'm not really sure what even, <laughs> what even happened, and uh, I should be serving here. So, okay, cool, yeah. When you're sitting at a table and the smell of your food is great, but perhaps the smell of the person at the table isn't great, and you need to get over that to serve people. That's hard for some. I think at one point we had someone who was a bit of a germaphobe who just left because they didn't know what to do with that. That's the Jesus side of things, is despite my uncomfort, despite this moment, I'm going to love and I'm going to show Jesus. You know, there's a pastor named uh, Robbie Dawkins, he's a vineyard pastor, but he had a dream one night that people came into the church and they were doing all kinds of things that you should not be doing in a church. Uh, they were doing uh, smoking pot, they were doing drugs lighting up heroin all in the pews as he's preaching. There's people having sex in the pews while he's preaching in his, in his dream. And he's just like, he did what any self-respecting pastor would probably do and eventually just said, well, if you are not going to treat the house of God the way it should be, get out. And don't amen, don't amen. I had someone do that once. The story's not over. <laughs> as soon as he said that, God spoke into the dream and said, why would you send away what I've sent in? Why would you send away all of these people that I just finally got to your church? That dream changed his ministry, changed his direction. That's how I felt with dinner church a lot of times. It, it's not easy to be around a lot of people who come from all different kinds of backgrounds and dysfunctions and whatnot and have different stories. I had one person who was angry at another person. She yelled at her, and then somehow I got caught in the middle of it. I was just getting ready to go on stage and preach when the person stands up and starts screaming at me in front of the whole church and then walks out the door and slams it behind him. I'm like, let's turn to Luke, shall we? <laughs> what are you supposed to do? I don't know. But Jesus could handle it. And Jesus did handle it. He ate at at the table with those kinds of people. I think we as a church in general have found out, especially during the pandemic, as conversations have grown, our churches tend to be the same kind of people. It's easier. We think the same way, we eat the same way, we like the same kind of foods, we talk the same way. When I first got to our church, it was bilingual because it was based off a Latino church that was there beforehand. And like just trying to translate everything you were doing, that takes effort and energy. That's not easy. I have to cut my messages in half, recognizing the ones by the time they're translated, I could only say half of what I actually probably planned on saying. But that's church. That's that's the church of revelation. Jesus is not coming back for a white bride, he's coming back for one of all languages, 
tongues, ethnicities, cultures. And in our diversity, we find the neutralizing agent, as Jesus did, to be food. Okay, you guys don't like tax collectors. All right, I'm going to eat with them. You guys don't like this person over here in this shady business. I'm going to eat with them. You know, like A, B, C, D, I'm going to eat with them. But you know what's also amazing? Jesus ate with some other people that speaks volumes to us today. Jesus ate with Pharisees. That should blow our mind. Usually that's the one where we're like, oh yeah, I would expect Jesus eating with the spiritual leaders. No. These people are going to kill him. And he decided despite, I think, knowing they were going to kill him, that he would eat with even them. He didn't show us just to love the outsiders and the raggedy and those who don't have it all together. He also ate with those who pretend to have it all together, but actually don't. That despite the fact that, yeah, you are going to give me capital punishment, You're going to hang me on a cross, put nails through my wrist, leave me there to die, disrespect me, whip me, put a spear through my side once I'm dead like I don't even matter. Despite all of that, yes, I'm even going to eat with you. Jesus did not just preach enemy love. He lived it. Imagine sitting across a table from someone who belongs to a sect who is going to have you killed on a cross. That's Jesus. Finding even the great neutralizer of the table for situations like that. We don't always do that, again, as we've learned during the pandemic. If we disagree on something, I'm going to ream you out. <laughs> that's, that's the way that it's gone. Whereas Jesus... We disagree so much you're going to kill me. Here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood poured out for you. That's a whole different kind of love. An enemy love distributed even to Judas as far as we know. Judas, take off your shoes. I need to wash your feet. Judas, here's my body broken for you. Even you. guy, what a God, that his love is that immense and his grace is that potent, that we feel it even shock waves thousands of years later. Yeah, Jesus liked food. He used it in a lot of parables. He used it to even explain why he invites in the raggedies. There was a great feast going to be thrown, and the invitations went out to everyone who you would expect to be there, and they all turned it down. So the guy in charge of the feast sent out his servants, go find everyone who shouldn't be there and bring them in. That's us. We're the Gentiles. In that parable, the original was like, go to the Jews, bring them in. They were the ones under the blessing of God who were supposed to have this. Oh, they're not going to come? Not all of them anyways. All right, send it out to the Gentiles. Bring them in. 
done as a feast. And a great feast that's coming too, right? The wedding feast. Revelation. That one day we all as Christians, across all nations, across all races, across all tribes, across everything, will all sit down at a table as the bride of Christ, with the groom of Christ, and eat a glorious feast. Good news, your resurrected body can eat food, apparently. I mean, Jesus did it, right? That's part of the way that he, he showed his uh, uh, disciples that he was physical and not just a spirit. Oh, it's a ghost! No, watch me eat this fish. Oh, ghosts don't eat fish. So We have more food ahead of us. What kind of foodie will I be in heaven? I don't know. <laughs> I'll be finding the best of the best ingredients. Maybe start up my own shop here in Jackson. Own little church, church foodie restaurant, something. I don't know, some hybrid of sorts. Food, food, food. It is the great neutralizer. It is what brings us together. It is what softens our hearts to the people across from us, be they the enemies like Pharisees or the people who think are the enemies, like the tax collectors who literally robbed people point blank. That was what they did. If Jesus can spend his time doing evangelism around the table, then we need to figure out what that looks like for our own context. And hey, there's no promises that things will always work out when we try it. Obviously, when the pandemic hit, especially right at the beginning where rules were super stringent, we had to just let the whole dinner church thing go. And we haven't really relaunched it yet. Just to fill our tiny sanctuary with 90 people, even if everyone's doing better, like still dangerous enough to make us uncomfortable getting there. Do you know what we lost when the pandemic hit? Nearly every single person who started coming because of the food. And I can take that as an insult. <laughs> it was, I was trying to offer them Jesus and use food as my cover. I could take it that way if I wanted. But deep down I know that as I was feeding them food, I was also feeding them the bread of life. And so we've actually been working on thinking through a new project. Our plan at the moment is to buy a food truck so that we can take dinner church on the go drive into disenfranchised neighborhoods, set up a service, eat food together, tell them about Jesus, and then drive to the next place the next day or whatever. Um, hopefully next spring, if we're lucky. But like that's, that's all we can do at the moment is, Holy Spirit, we know how you did ministry. Help us figure out our own context to do it. And that's not the context of every church, right? Churches can work in all different kinds of forms. Tonight, actually... We're doing something entirely different because like you guys, uh, we, we would have a room probably about this full and we got to figure out like how do we really uh, bring people together to, to make this work in a different context again in our situation. And so that, that is constantly on the table. But Jesus is the groom of the church. He's the king of heaven. He is the one in charge. So if our hearts are searching after him, he will give us all, in any of our contexts, direction as to where we're going. Uh, so let me pray for you now as Brentley comes up.
Jesus, you know that often when I'm walking to church to get ready to start service, uh, the prayer that's on my heart is, this is not my church, this is your church. And sometimes that prayer is followed with a, I don't even feel like you can really use me today. I'm tired. Maybe I just yelled at my family on the way out the door. I just feel not ready to be a pastor at all tonight. But it always has to end with, but I'm what you have at the moment, (laughs) and this is your church. So use me as you see fit. Jesus, you gave us a lot of glimpses as to what you look like, as to what ministry looks like. Sometimes that looked like food. Sometimes that looked like synagogue. Sometimes that looked like healing. Sometimes that looked like casting out demons. Sometimes that looked like revealing to your disciples the deep depths of who you are, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Sometimes that even required you to find some space and heal, to send the disciples on ahead while you went up a mountain to pray. Sometimes you found that you were doing ministry in a way that no one would even expect. You're off praying early in the morning, and the disciples come up to you and they say, Hey, let's go back to town. We had all these miracles yesterday. Let's just go capitalize on that. And you, Jesus, as you've been praying all morning by yourself, you say, No, no, no. We're moving on to the next place. God, none of us humans think like that. When we see a success happening... We capitalize upon it. When we see people reach, we see miracles happening, we we just station ourselves right there and we dwell in it. But you were so open to the direction of the Holy Spirit that even when success called out to you, this is what I could be doing and be doing well. Even when that kind of success called out to you, as you prayed to your Father, He told you to do something else and you listened. All of our contexts are different. Would you give this church the context that you have for them? And as they lean into you, as they press into you, would you give them the direction that you have for them as things change and evolve? Let ideas pop, ministries pop. Let them dwell in the ways of Jesus that they might find that bread that you tell them to pray for, that epiousios bread, as it says in Greek. Give us today our epiousios bread, which in my mind must be you. Because epiousios is not a Greek word. It was made up by the Christians. It seems weird to say, give us today our daily bread. It's It's doubling up. But give us today our supernatural bread. That's you. You are the bread of heaven. You are the bread given to us in a feeding trough. You are the bread offered to us on the way out. We are excited to partake in that in a moment. We prepare our hearts as we sing to celebrate that bread as we eat it. In Jesus' name, amen.